with me please, New Testament to uh, 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 1, Hebrews James, 1 2 Peter chapter 1. And just reading from verse uh, 2. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him. Who called us by glory and virtue. By which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. By which, having been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises. A promise is a promise. That's the title. A promise is a promise. A promise is, in a sense, it is a Verbal contract, is it not? It's a spoken guarantee. A promise obligates, it binds, it commits, it avows. There used to be a time when all was required to strike a deal. It was a handshake and somebody's word were their bond. But I'm afraid that day, for the most part, is long since gone. Because now we see that contracts are broken with impunity. And we see that governments renege on their promise manifesto. In fact, they put things in government and act things that was never in their manifesto in the first place, as we see happening today. So we flatter, we flannel, we fall short of the truth, and sometimes we go beyond the truth. To the point is that the world has become cynical and disbelieving and distrusting. And as the Bible says, truth has fallen in the street. But thank God in the midst of the world of lies and deceit, there is one voice that we can trust today, is there not? There's one whose word is infallible, it's unerring, it's irrefutable. In Revelation, he is called the faithful witness because his word is true. In John 1.14, it says he is full of grace and full of truth. Jesus said about himself, John 14 and 6, I am the truth. When Pilate, he stood before Pilate, Pilate says, what is truth? Little did he know he was standing before the very embodiment of truth. In Hebrews 6.18, it says it's impossible for God to lie. In Genesis 3, God promised to send his son, and he came. And John 16, Jesus promised to send the Holy Spirit, and he came. In John 14, Jesus promised that he would return for us, and thank God, he is coming. And so when the Almighty makes a promise, it is absolutely guaranteed. It is safe as the Bank of England. It's as sure as Fort Knox. It's more solid than the Rock of Gibraltar. You can absolutely bank on it. It is exceedingly great 
and precious, Peter said. So why are God's promises so great? Why are they so precious? Well, first of all, because they are so sure and they are so certain. Jeremiah 1 and 12 says, I will stand over my word to perform it. Oftentimes, whenever we get a job done for us or we buy something, uh, and we're looking for a guarantee, aren't we? We're looking for somebody to say, I will stand over this. I will keep my word. If something goes wrong, you can come to me and I will stand over my promise to you. And that's wonderful when that happens. God says, I will stand over my word to perform it. Second Peter 3 and 9, The Lord is not slack concerning His promises, as some men count slackness. Of course, with the best will in the world, we make promises. And we fully intend to keep those promises. But then things happen in life. And perhaps we get to the position, even though we have promised and we fully intended to do such and such or whatever, or go such and such a place, but circumstances happened and we found that we could no longer do that. We could not keep our commitment. That's just our humanity. It's not that we didn't want to or we aimed not to. We actually wanted to, but we just could not do it. It was beyond our what we had promised. But thank God he's not like that. He's not slack concerning his promises. Some men count slackness. Psalm 138 verse 2 says, For you have magnified your word even above your name. And as I always say about that verse, the reason for that is because a person's name is only as good as their word. If somebody gives you their word repeatedly and does not keep it, each time their name comes up in conversation, that's what you remember about them, isn't it? That's the first thing about their character that you think about. Well, that person's nice and they're very good and this, that and the other, but... If they give you their word, you just could not count on it because they're just probably not going to do it. It's just flannel and waffle, but you can't trust it. And so God says, I have magnified my word even above my name. Hebrews 6.13, For when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely in blessing I will bless you and I'm multiplying, I will multiply you. He could swear by no greater, so he swore by himself. Romans 4, Abraham staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. Abraham had an unwavering trust in God's Word. He did not stagger at the promise. Hmm, what a promise it was. Often we stagger at the problem. Abraham not only did he not stagger at the problem, he didn't stagger at the promise. It was such a promise that most of us, if not all of us, would have absolutely staggered at it. It would have been staggering to think at that age that both he and his wife would have a son at that age. I mean, it was a staggering promise. And not only would they have a son, but out of that son, the whole world would be blessed. It was a staggering promise, but he didn't stagger at it. Such was his trust in the word of the living God. 
And God places such a high premium on keeping his word and not compromising his word and not fulfilling his promises because he knows that his name is only as good as his word. And he wants his name to be magnified, his name to be glorified. He wants his name to be trusted. He wants his name to be uplifted. He wants it whenever we mention his name that we believe and we trust him. And if we recommend him to others, we do it with full assurance that he will keep his word. So he wants his name to be held in high esteem. And so his promises are sure and they're certain. That's why they're exceedingly great and precious. And secondly, because they are sufficient. He not only promises life, but abundant life. He not only promises joy, but fullness of joy. He not only promises peace, but perfect peace. In fact, the peace that he has got himself. And Jesus says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world has. Forget that. That's fleeting. That's based on circumstances. That's if you're in a good mood. But he says, my peace I give unto you. Jesus was imperturbable. There's a big word like marmalade, isn't it? He was unflappable. He was calm. He was cool. He was collected. He didn't panic at any time. You can't see anywhere where Jesus panicked. The disciples panicked all around him. Master, do you not care that we're perishing in this boat? What was Jesus doing? He was asleep on the pillow. He was not panicking. He was totally at peace. Because he trusted his Father's will and purpose. So he not only promises peace, but perfect peace. Not only promises grace, but special grace. Remember the Apostle Paul? With that thorn in the flesh, he prayed three times. And the Lord says, no, I'm not going to take it away. Because my grace will be sufficient for you to handle it. And sometimes God does that. He doesn't take the problem away, but he gives us broader shoulders to carry it and to be able to handle it and go through life. Uh, Not that it's going to disappear on us, but that we've got the strength to be able to take care of it. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. And so they're sufficient to meet every need, aren't they? In Matthew chapter 6, Verse 25, Jesus said, Therefore I say to you, do not worry. Boy, we should underline that. We should put a ring around that. We should put a big marker through that. Because that's the one area that we're so prone to fall to, isn't it? To worry. Some of you are worry warts. You're only happy when you're worrying. And you think, I should worry. And sometimes we enjoy worrying. (laughs) Actually, Jesus said, in fact, it's a command. He says, do not worry. And then he goes on about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? I mean, those are the very essentials of life. 
the very things that keeps us in existence. He says, don't worry about one of those things. Don't even fret about it at all, he says. Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? What does it do for you? Does it ease the burden? Does it make it go away? No. It makes it worse in your mind. It builds it up. It makes it... Does that mean we shouldn't have any thoughts about tomorrow? Absolutely not. I mean, we, we need to plan for tomorrow, and there's things that concern us that we need to deal with, but that's different than worrying ourselves sick about stuff. This is what Jesus is talking about. So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin, and yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. But your heavenly Father knows that you have need of all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. And just in case we missed the point, for the third time, Jesus says, Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Give us this day our daily bread. It's a day-to-day -day business, isn't it? None of us knows what tomorrow holds. Now for some that's a scary thought. But if we're trusting in Him, we know that He holds tomorrow. Amen. And if He holds our tomorrow, then we don't really need to worry about it, do we? Because He can take care of it. But in our humanity, we know that it can sneak up on us, can't it? And we can find ourselves fretting, fretting, fretting until we catch ourselves on and say, why am I fretting when I can pray about this and I can hand it over to the Lord and say, Lord, I don't know how to work this out. I don't know how to do this. I've done everything I know. Lord, I'm going to leave it with you. I'm not going to worry about it. They never begin to trust His promises when we do that, you see. What about wisdom? Do you need wisdom? What does it say in James chapter 1? <laughs> If any of you, verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. Let not that man suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man and stable in all his ways." If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God in faith and it will be given to him. I kind of paraphrased that there because that's what it means. So we need wisdom today. Let's ask God. Let's trust him. Let's believe him. Do we lack assurance? Do we lack confidence? Matthew chapter 7 should have stayed there when I was there, shouldn't I? 
Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. <clears throat> Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened unto you. For everyone who asks, receives. He who seeks, finds. To him who knocks, it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, if the son asks for bread, will he give him a stone? If he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Therefore, whatever you men want to do, to, what you want men to do to you, do to them, for this is the law and the prophets. And so there's wonderful promises that if we ask, if we seek, and if we knock, be open, that will be given to us, that God will hear because he loves to give to his children. And Jesus, just to reinforce the fact, says, well, you being natural parents with all of your sinfulness and all of that, and yet when it comes to giving gifts to your children, you want only the best for them, don't you? When it comes to birthday time, you find out what they really, really want, and you go all over the place to try to get it, to make sure they get what they really, really were wanting, as long as it's something that's wholesome and good. And then you give it to them just to see the smile, just to see the joy in their wee faces when you give them that present. How much more, he says, will your heavenly Father not give to you that, those good things that you need in this life as a believer? God takes great pleasure in giving us gifts. He really does. And so because they are sufficient, thank God for the sufficiency of God's promises. And because they are so simple, Simple to find. John Bunyan said, The pathway of life is strewn so thickly with the promises of God that it is impossible to take one step without treading upon one of them. <laughs> hmm. They're not hard to find, you know. I've got a book full of them here. And sometimes we're worried and we're fretting and we're scratching our head and we're this, that, and the other. And all the time, we've got a pathway that's strewn with promises and we can find them in this book if we care to read and we care to go before the Lord. Simple to find, simple to know. Proverbs 3, 5, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and he will direct your paths. It's a lovely thing, you know, whenever perhaps you're in your devotional time and you're reading the Word of God, and suddenly there's a promise that just leaps out at you. And maybe it's something you're going through or something that you need, something perhaps it's for the future. And suddenly, in your devotions, you read that promise, and it becomes not just words on a page, but it comes God's voice speaking to your heart, a promise just for you. It's as if God just interrupts you and says, now listen, here's a promise. I give you my word on this. This is my promise to you. And when you get that, and it's in your heart, let me tell you, that gives you strength and it gives you confidence, and it gives you so much assurance. And it's just so easy to know. 
It's just so simple. You wonder, you may have read that a thousand times, but suddenly it becomes a rhyme word to you. It's a now word. It's for today. It's for right now. And it becomes so easy to know and understand. <coughs> Excuse me. So simple to find. They're so simple to know. They're so simple to lay hold of. If we fulfill the conditions, because just about almost all of God's promises are conditional. There are conditions to fulfill in our part. So if we fulfill the conditions, He will keep His word. In Luke chapter 6, 38. Here's a great promise, but it's with a condition. <clears throat> Give. There's the condition. And it will be given to you. There's the promise. In good measure, pressed on, shaken together, running over, will men put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use it, so the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. How many people know this morning you cannot outgive God? There once was a man, they called him mad. The more he gave, the more he had. And as a principle, it's absolutely true for sure. And if you get into the rhythm and the cycle of just being a giver, it's amazing what will come to you in the most unexpected ways that you never dreamed of. Let me tell you a wee story that happened to me just a few weeks ago. Some of you know it, particularly those of you interested in technical things and all the rest of it. I was saving up all year, all year, to change my camera. I've had it for about four or five years, maybe six years. In fact, the camera I had was given to me. A good friend, Presbyterian elder, gave it to me. It was in one day, I was admiring it. He was handy with photos and I was admiring his camera. And he says, do you like it? I says, it's a lovely camera. I didn't have one. But what he didn't know was I'd been praying about one for a long time. He says, Lord, I'd love a nice camera. He says, it's yours. Have it. He says, I'm getting rid of it and changing it. Have it. Well, thank you very much. In fact, he gave me two. <laughs> he says, there's another one over there. I never use it. He says, take that too. Well, there's lens. Take that. There's a battery. Take that. There you just give me the whole lot. There's a bag, in fact. Take the whole lot. So that was lovely. I had that for a number of years and thought, it's time to upgrade so Sally and I went to Australia, as you know, a few weeks ago, and stayed with her sister and brother-in-law. There's a lovely technical magazine supplement thing in the house, and I was flicking through it, and so there's the very camera I'm wanting. There's the very one I'm after. And I, I looked at the price. I couldn't believe the price. I thought, I could never get that, that price back home. And so I thought about it, and hemmed and hawed, and you know, and procrastinated it and thought about it more. And it came near the time for leaving, and I thought, I've got to do this. I'm going to have to get this. So I said to her sister, I says, look, I really want to get this camera. I says, there's my car details, because it would never arrive in time for me leaving. There's my car details. Would you mind getting that and just posting it to me? She says, be happy to do that. That'd be great. So I left the details. Two weeks later, it arrived at her house. Then she sent it to me. That was another couple of weeks of coming to me. I was back here about two weeks, got the wee letter in the post box, had to go to Craig Avon to pick the parcel up. And the guy looked at it and he says, ooh, he says, this is a big hit here. He says, 72 quid you're going to have to pay for this because of customs. 
But I was happy enough to pay that. I thought, well, I'm still getting an awful lot cheaper. Never got it back home. So I got it, brought it home, opened it up, and there was a little card in it. Dear David, Harry and I just wants to give you this as a gift. We'll know that you'll be a bit embarrassed, and I was. Had I known they were going to do that, I wouldn't order it through them. But we want you to have this. It's a gift to you from us. <laughs> Glory to God. Isn't that wonderful? You see? Now, here's the, here's the trick of it. <clears throat> we flew from there. We went to Claire's house whenever in Australia. And I said to Claire, I'm selling my camera. Do you know anybody be interested? I says, I have two lens. I have a, a couple of lens. I'll, I'll go with it. In fact, the, the batteries and the card in it and a bag for it. I'm going to send the whole lot. I says, I'll sell the whole lot. Anybody here interested? So she looked around and there was one or two. thought, oh, there is, but it's maybe a wee bit, price you're looking is a wee bit steep for us. And uh, I says, well, that's okay. I'll sell it when I go back home. I'll put it in gum tree. I'll do something with it. And uh, Claire, of course, uh, she admired it. She looked at it and thought, it's a good camera, Dad. And uh, it's very nice. And uh, so I thought to myself, you know what? <clears throat> I got that given to me. I'll just give that away. So I give it to her. And I says, I'll send you over with your mother-in-law. I'll send you over the lenses and the whole shebang. I got it for nothing. You can have it for nothing too. So I didn't know at that point when I gave that away, I didn't know that my sister-in-law and her husband was actually planning on buying me the camera for me. And Claire says when she finds, she says, there you are, Dad. If you hadn't give that to me, you see how this works, Dad? She says, see how the Lord works? If you'd have sold that to me, You'd have had to pay top dollar for that other camera. <laughs> I says, you're right, darling, you're right. <laughs> she never misses a trick like this. <laughs> but you see, it's true. It really is honestly true. If, if you do that, if you fulfill the conditions, God will do his part. He will make sure that his part is done. Luke 17, if you have faith, even as a grain of mustard seed. What do you do with seed? You sow it. Even a little bit. Faith is still faith. Gold is still gold, even if it's a little bit. Faith is still faith. And sometimes it doesn't take a whole lot. It just takes a little bit that you sow, that you do something with. And when you do it, God honors and God blesses. Writer of the Hebrews, chapter 6, verse 12, says, Imitate those who through faith and patience Patience, inherit the promises. Who through faith and patience inherit the promises. See, there's conditions. Faith and patience. Sometimes it just doesn't work as quick as the illustration I gave you. But it will still work if you have faith and if you have patience to trust God at his word. And sometimes we're a bit like children, aren't we? Uh, we can't wait until our birthday comes. We can't wait until Christmas comes. We can't wait until such... We can't wait until the holiday comes. We just cannot wait. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? We've all had that in the back of the car over the years, haven't we? No, another 20 minutes to go. Are we there yet? Can't wait. And we're like that with God. God, where is it? Are we there yet? What's happening? I want it now. God says, no, just be patient. Just trust me. Have faith. I know what I'm doing. I see the big picture. You don't. And if we do that, then we will receive the promise. If God 
would fail to keep his promises. Could he not fail to keep his prophecies? If God could fail to keep one promise, could he not fail to keep one prophecy? If he can't trust him in his promises, how could he trust him in his prophecies? And if he couldn't, if he failed to keep one prophecy, which one would it be? <laughs> would it be the one that he's coming back for us to take us to be where he is? Would he fail in that? Would it be the one where he gives us new life in the resurrection, gives us a new body? Would he fail in that? You see, God's word is so important to him. He puts such stock in it, such a premium on it, that he's even prepared to prophesy way into the future in our lives. Because he trusts his own word. And he knows how to bring it to pass. So aren't you glad that you can trust his promises? And because you can trust his promises, you can trust his prophecies. Because he's promised to do what he promised to do and it happened in our past, then what he's promised for a future can happen too if we trust him. Let me just close with this. We're a little bit shorter today. He says, all tired after your, after your period of gluttony. Because that's all it was over Christmas, wasn't it? Let's be honest. We stuffed ourselves, didn't we? We had enough food with do for about six months. We had it in two days. So you're all a bit feeling a bit, aren't you? Someone hasn't made it today. Because, uh, well, anyway. <clears throat> I'm not going down that road. <laughs> Pilgrim's Progress. Here's what Bunyan said. You know, two of his main characters were Christian and hopeful. He said, When Christian and hopeful lay helpless in Doubting Castle, the property of giant despair, Christian said, What a fool I am to be in a stinking dungeon when I may as well walk at liberty. I have a key in my bosom called promise. That will, I am persuaded, open any lock in Doubting Castle. Then he pulled it out of his bosom pocket and began to try it at the dungeon door, whose bolt, as he turned the key, gave way, and the door flew open with ease, and Christian and Hopeful both came out. I mean, what words that Bunyan, what an allegory that Bunyan wrote. Do you ever read Pilgrim's Pro? You ought to read it. It's fantastic. Listen to those words again. What a fool I am to be in a stinking dungeon when I may as well walk at liberty. I have a key in my bosom called promise that will, I am persuaded, open any lock in Doubting Castle. <laughs> you, ever, you ever in Doubting Castle and giant despairs, big shadows looming over you and all the time you have a key in your bosom. A promise for God that will open every and any lock. A promise is a promise. Now what her children says to you, Dad, a promise is a promise. Now you promised. <laughs> you better keep that promise. Well, we don't have to point our finger at God. Sure we don't. A promise is a promise. And if he's given us a promise, he'll keep his word. Amen. Right, let's pray. I think Martin is coming just to lead us in a time of communion.